Can we share a short prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you, Lord, for guiding us here once again. And thank you, Lord, that even as we begin to go into your word, that you shall lead us and guide us. And even me that I'm teaching, that you shall lead me and guide me and open my heart to more insights on your word. For in Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. How are we all today? That's a low response. Okay. Okay. We've been learning about the Bible for a while. We started with the Bible being inspired by God. And from there we moved on to the Bible being authoritative. So I'm going to ask, what did you learn? For those who are in class, I know your teacher is here, so no expo. What did you learn last last week? What did you learn last week? Anyone? Anyone? Sister Aldera, what did you learn last week? Well, one of the things that I learned or that I was reminded of was the fact that the Bible has its authority from God and in our world today, many of us we that claim to be Christians or many people that claim to be Christians don't really believe that all of the Bible is you know, authoritative. So our teacher made, she, or rather she emphasized on how the Old Testament and the New Testament, both of them are very important. We can't say that one is greater than the other. So that's one of the things that I was reminded about. Thank you, Sister Odera. Um, that's correct. If we say that the Bible is authoritative, that means there's an author who is, has the authority. Many a times when you see a book, you see uh, the author of this. What the person is saying is that I'm the best person concerning this topic because I've written this book and I'm the author of this. So anything you need to know concerning that book or that topic, come and meet me. Essentially, you know, and if we say that the author behind it is the Holy Spirit, that means... Every single thing that we need to understand about the Bible, we need to go and meet the which is the Holy Spirit. It says all scriptures are God-breathed. All scriptures, even the ones that we avoid, like revelations, all scriptures are God-breathed, from Genesis to Revelation. Today we're going to move on to the Bible and the believer. The relationship between the Bible and the believer. I call it the BB square. Bible and the believer. And the Bible is derived from the Greek word called Biblia, which means book. I mean, many a times we see in our Bible, we see, we see things like word of God, we see things like scripture. And... If we look closely, we would notice that um, both the Bible 
and Jesus Christ are identified as the word of God. So the Bible is God's written word. If you look at Exodus 17, verse 14, and Jesus is also identified as the word of God. If you look at John 1, 1, which says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And also, if you look at Revelations 19, Revelations 19, verse 13. Revelations 19, 13 says, And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So today we're going to be dealing with the aspect of the Bible. Um, we would go further into Jesus being the Word of God when we talk about Jesus as the Son of God. But why I started with this is to let us know that our relationship with one determines our relationship with the other. Many a times we ask ourselves questions that, why is it that um, people do not read their Bibles? If we look closely, we'll see that there's something wrong with their relationship with God. Because you cannot separate the two. If you want to be rightly related with Jesus, you have to be rightly related with his word. Because the word of God is the mind of God, reveals the mind of God. Many a times when you're on the evangelical, or sorry, the, when you go to evangelize, you hear people say things like, I'm not ready to return to God. And even before you even get to that point, you see that when you start to ask them questions, you would see that their relationship with reading their Bible is it's kind of shaky. You know, that's where you hear things like, I've not read my Bible in, in a year or two years. And you ask, what, what went wrong? Then they take you on a journey about their life and what has happened. And you see that their relationship with God, something, something, something is amiss. So we can't separate the two. We can't separate the two. If the Bible is the word of God, what that means is that it proceeds from God. It, it didn't proceed from man. It comes from heaven. And when we talk about scripture, what scripture means is that what has been recorded in writing. That's what scripture means. So we're going to move on to what I call the identifiers of the Bible. So, or the nature of the Bible. Um, many a times you see in the Bible that the Bible is regarded as the sword and the seed and the food. So we're going to talk about that real quick. First and foremost, we're going to talk about the Bible being the sword. If we turn to Hebrews 4, verse 12. If anyone is there, they can read. And someone should turn to Ephesians 6, verse 17. Is anyone there? Hebrews 4, 
12. Yes. Um, the Bible says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than every, any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You want in Ephesians 6, verse 17? Verse 17. Yeah. Ephesians 6, 17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praise the Lord. So we can see here from this that the word of God is alive and is powerful. And it being a sword means that it, it can pierce. You know, it's more powerful than all the lies that Satan has filled the world with. It carries power. It's, it's strong. Um, it's, it's only the Bible that can, you know, dig in, as we've seen from discerning of thoughts and intents of the heart. Um, it's interesting that anytime you're, you're reading the Bible, it's almost as if the Bible is also reading you as well and highlighting things inside of you. Um, that's why um, when we talk about the Bible, we say that we shouldn't treat it like just any other, just a book or any other story. Um, there's a different mindset and a different approach you have when it comes to the Bible and every other type of book. I mean, for me, for example, um, there's this book I love um, called The Renegades. Um, and it's a trilogy. But you see, after I finish that book, right now, I can't remember the protagonist's name. Like, I, I, I really can't remember. I can remember bits and details of the story, you know. That's different from when I read maybe an A.W. Tozer book, for example, you know. I don't read it the same way. Why? Because I see value in the other. And that value is also tied to our identity. What I mean by that is that if we say that we are Christians and if we say that um, we belong to God and that is our identity first and foremost, we will value the things of God more. You know, a lot of times you realize that um, because of people value other things more, it affects their relationship with the Bible. So if first and foremost you see yourself as a feminist or a data analyst, and that comes first, or a rock enthusiast, you know, back in the days. But if you see yourself as that first and foremost, it kind of affects your identity because you being a Christian is falling backwards and you tend to prioritize those things more than the other. So the Bible being a sword is powerful. It's able to not just kill your enemy, but it's able to extract things from you. So for example, you get injured and there's a bullet inside you. Not that it has happened to any of us here, but it's used to extract, you know. It can also be gentle, you know. I mean, there's one time like this, I was running and I fell on my tummy when I was younger. I don't know who was chasing me, but when you're young, you just run for no reason. can't understand it. 
And they use sort of like a knife and he tied it with palm oil. You know, it's very painful, right? And they psh, on my tummy, you know. But I did the work. It sealed the wound. So that's it. The word of God as a sword. We move on to the word of God or the Bible as a seed. In First Peter chapter 1 verse 23, we talks about being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abided forever. The interesting thing about seed is that um, I see farmers as very interesting people, or people that plant stuff, because you can do everything right at your own end. You can water it, you can make sure everything is good, you know, checking on it, but you can play your part and the seed will still not bear fruit. And it can be frustrating at times. It really can't. And that's because of two things. The nature. The nature of the seed is what determines the life. And here it's saying that the nature that we have is a nature of God that cannot be corrupted, that is not longer a slave to sin, you know, that it's pure. If, for example, now, if I plant you know, maybe an orange seed, you know. I, I, I'm not expecting to get pineapples or apple because that's not the nature of it. It's not the nature of the seed. Same thing, for example, you plant a seed and the seed has a sort of defect, you know. You don't expect what you get to be something good because it already has a defect. That's the nature. So the nature of the seed produces the life and we are called to regenerate and bear forth fruit and it's not just a one-time transaction it's not just a one-time transaction it is constant in our life it is constant the next point we move on is to food and Hebrews 5 verse 12 we're treating a lot of Hebrews Favorite book. Hebrews 5, verse 12. If anyone is dead, he can read. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracle of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food praise the lord um the author here was saying that speaking to the jewish people that um at this point in time that they should know better so to say that they they've been familiar with the scriptures so and they should have passed this stage essentially and truth of the matter is that um when a newborn baby is born, the first thing it desires is food. You know, they have healthy appetites, you know. 
maybe too healthy because you, you, you feed them and the next two minutes they are hungry again. And that is how we are when we first, you know, give our lives to Christ. We have this fact, our appetite is so strong for the word of God. We want to know more about him. We want to know more about the family we've come into. We want like that hunger for him. And we move on from milk and we move on to things like bread. And from that, we move on to solid, solid food. And that's what the Bible does for us. Even as we grow, even as we meditate on the word, it, it helps us. It helps us because it's our daily food, our daily nutrient. We can't treat it like a, you know, only when crisis come, that's when you turn to the Bible. I mean, I, I said for me, for example, is only when my head starts to pain me, that's when I realize that I need to go and eat, which is a very bad habit that I got from Bangkok, because it's not my fault. But anyways, um, we, can't treat, we can't treat the Bible like that. If we treat the Bible like how we eat, you know, morning, afternoon, and evening, maybe things will be different for us as Christians, you know. And sometimes um, there's that illusion that the devil tries to make us feel like we're full when we're empty. Um, body dysmorphia. But it's interesting because sometimes you, 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 people tend to, maybe they go to church or they read a podcast and they feel like that's, that's it. That's, that's okay for them. But it's a deceit, you know, and they, they start to consume it on a daily like oh i don't have time to read my bible let me just listen to this podcast before i go to work and after that they go and it becomes like continuous in their life and they've never opened their bible like throughout that week or two what you realize is that that person is slowly 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 being malnourished and the person doesn't know it because the person feels they are okay they look in the mirror and they feel like they've done their part and they've listened to a podcast and that should be enough for them. But that's the illusion. And this is me not kicking podcasts, like podcasts are good. But it becomes a, a, a problem when that becomes your main source where you get your food, not the Bible. Not the Bible. And the more we mature, because essentially the Bible being the food is not just, you know, for us to just, okay, eat it and that's where it goes. We're supposed to grow, we're supposed to exercise, we're supposed to practice, we're supposed to apply what we've taken in, you know. Use it as energy, like some animes will do. You just eat it and, you know, it fills you up. And that's how we're supposed to you know, use the Bible as a food to be able to exercise it in every situation that we might find ourselves in. And there's also the Bible as a mirror. Um, can look at James 1, 23, verse 25. I mean, the Bible shows you who you really are and what you've imbibed. Um, as you're reading the Bible, like I said, the Bible is also reading you and saying, okay, so this, these are the things that you've done. These are the things that you've not done. You know, these are the things that you're struggling with. These are the things that 
you've given up for me. These are things you've not given up for me. And the Bible has a mirror. The Bible doesn't lie, you know. And maybe that's why some people don't actually like to read their Bibles because they feel guilty. And there's a devil. For example, now, um, I don't know if you've ever experienced it that when you sin, you feel like you're not worthy to read your Bible. Never happened to you. Has happened. Am I communicating? Chibola is looking at me. <laughs> like you sin and almost like I don't feel worthy to read this Bible. Let me just leave it. Like when I when I te- when I fix my relationship with God, then I'll go and read it. But the two are connected, and that's that's the that's the deceit. That's the trick. The two are connected because you realize that. You are waiting to fix your relationship with God. Before you know it, one month and two months have passed, and you don't even know how this thing started. And that's what the devil does. That's what the devil does. So we move on to what the Bible does. Or what are the effects of the Bible? And this is why I ask questions. What are the effects of the Bible? What does the Bible do in your life? It's now personal. What does the Bible do for you when you read it? Um, the Bible gives me knowledge and um, it helps me to have uh, better prayer points, better maybe connection with God, things that I want in my life through the Bible. I get to realize these things. answer. Tim Topper, what does the Bible do for you? Okay, uh, the Bible is a source of, let me say, serenity. It keeps me calm in troubled times. Oh, sorry, the Bible is a, a source of serenity. It keeps me calm in troubled times. That's good. That's good. You're both right. You're both right. You're both right. JB. What does the Bible do for you? Encourage. Encourage. That's good. That's good. So first and foremost, what the Bible does is that it produces faith. If you look at Romans 10, verse 17, we see that faith is our currency and everything that pertains to God relates with God in faith. So the Bible produces faith. The Bible builds our faith. Helps us to hold on to God more. The second point is that it makes it possible for victory over sin and Satan. If you look at Psalm 119 verse 11. Psalm 119, verse 11. Psalm 119, verse 11. Are we there? Are you there? Can read. It says, Your word I have hidden in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Praise the Lord. So the word of God 
makes it possible for victory over sin and Satan. If you look at um, when Jesus was tempted, even before that, if you look at the previous chapter, in Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, verse, verse 17, it says that, and they low a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we move on to chapter 4 and we see that um, Jesus was tempted. And the first thing that um, Satan said was, if you are truly the son of God, turn the stone into bread. And that's the same thing he did for, you know, like, same thing he did for Eve. The first thing he makes you do is to doubt. I mean, what has already been said, I mean, God the Father already confirmed it. The Holy Spirit has already descended on Jesus. And next thing is that he goes into the wilderness and is like, if you are truly the Son of God. And, you know, Jesus started to reply, you know, thou shalt not live by bread alone. And all his replies, it's interesting that all of it came from Deuteronomy. And it's interesting that Jesus and the devil, none of them ever argued about the authority of the scripture. It's interesting why some Christians do. It's very fascinating. They never did. They never questioned. You know, Satan just moved on to the next. And when he saw that, you know, he left. I said, okay, let's see if this guy, there's nothing. I'll come back some other time. And that's how we should treat the word of God. I mean, it's, we, we can't be... To defeat Satan, to defeat him, we cannot be arguing. Like, it's not about, you know, theology. You have to hit him with the scripture. Say it is written. And it's what you already have up here, Sha, because you can't be faced with the enemy and start saying, what does Philippians 4 say? Philipp, before you finish typing it, you're dead. If you're in a game, you're already dead, to be honest. That's the reality. That's the reality. So the Bible helps us. Victory over sin and Satan. The third point is that the Bible illuminates our mind. Illuminates our mind. You look at Psalm 119 again. Verse 130. Psalm 119, verse 130. Psalm 119, verse 130 says, The entrance of your words gives light. It gives. It gives understanding to the simple. Thank you very much. So the Bible illuminates our mind. And I want to point here and say that education is not light. And education and wisdom are not the same thing. You know, um, the word of God giving or bringing light to you is, is not a, it's not a natural thing that people might think. It's not, it doesn't come from, you know, how educated you are. I mean, I used to say this, that if, if salvation was for the intelligent people or the educated people, many people would not make the cut. 
and then Peter would not admit the cut. So, and the Bible is not like that. It's interesting that um, there are people in this world today whereby they don't understand English. And all they, they speak is Yoruba, and they are reading their Bible, and the Holy Spirit is revealing to them in Yoruba. And they understand. It's fascinating, right? It is. I mean, you can be very educated and still be in darkness. I mean, a lot of educated minds are still in the deepest darkness ever. Because an educated atheist is still an atheist. Doesn't matter if he goes to theology seminars. Still an atheist. There's no light. If you come from the perspective of treating God's word as just a manuscript or just something that was written or just his works, there is no light there. There isn't. There isn't. So it's not about theology, and this is not me kicking theology. I mean, most of us here are <laughs> in theology school, so it's not about that. Well, this is deeper. This is deeper. If you look at um, Colossians 2, verse 3 to 4, it talks about how um, it is from Jesus Christ that wisdom comes from. It's a little bit Colossians 2. Colossians 2. Colossians chapter 2. Let me read. Um, I'll read from verse 2. It said um, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom I hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Amen. So wisdom comes from God. Um, in James, it talks about how um, there's a difference between wisdom that comes from God and wisdom that comes from the world. Now, the wisdom that comes from God is, is first and foremost pure. It is not selfish. It is not self-seeking. And the wisdom that comes from the world is demonic and devilish and dark. So the Bible does eliminate the mind. The next thing the Bible does is that the Bible cleanses. If you look at Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. Twenty-five to twenty-seven. If someone is there, they can read. Ephesians chapter five, um, twenty-five to twenty-seven. Husbands, love your wife, your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that He might present her to Himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Praise the Lord. So the Bible does cleanses. Um, as we read here that as we've come into 
Christ was supposed to be blameless and spotless unto him. You know, a lot of times Christians ask the question that can they really live a pure life? And the truth of the matter is that you can. You can live a pure life because you've been given all the tools that you need to live a pure life. You see, God didn't just leave us with, you know, the Holy Spirit. He also gave us the Bible as well. So that if it comes to a situation whereby we are confused, we can, can check the Bible and tally with what the Holy Spirit is saying inside of us. Because one, will I say, indicator is that if we're not even sure like what we're hearing is that the truth of the matter is that the Holy Spirit will always glorify Jesus. That's the one indicator. If what, no matter how good something is, no matter how spiritual in quote something is, if it doesn't glorify Jesus, then it's not from God. Simple as that. That's the one indicator. I mean, in our world today, they are poking holes into things that shouldn't be poked. You know, people would say safe sex when sex is not safe. And it's an interesting thing that they only say safe sex for people that are not married. They don't say safe sex for people that are married. It's very fascinating. It's very fascinating. So the word of God cleanses, cleanses us, it purifies us. In John 15 verse 3, that he is he who comes by water and by blood, not by water only, but by blood. By the blood of his sacrifice, he redeems us. By the water of his word, he cleanses and sanctifies us. And truth of the matter is that we need both in our lives. So the next point is nourishment. I already talked about nourishment when I talked about food. Um, the Bible is our spiritual nourishment. It nourishes us. And we should... Never get too familiar with it. You should never get too familiar with it. And that brings us to our next, next subheading. And it's how do we respond to the Bible? <clears throat> how do we respond to the Bible? Um, James 1, verse 21, James chapter 1, it says something very interesting. Um, it says something very interesting. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Verse 21. Is anyone there? Can I read? Therefore... Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Praise the Lord. So first and foremost, um, how we respond to God's word is to putting aside all filthiness and receiving his word with humility. Um, the Bible says that the Lord looks at the pride from afar. When we are humble, we are teachable. We truly are. And we cannot approach the Bible with any air of superiority. The next point is that um, we approach the Bible, we respond to the Bible through reverent fear and respect for God. 
We live in a world today that people do not respect God anymore. Amen. Being saved doesn't even carry weight anymore. In Psalm 25, I'll read that quickly. Psalm 25, verse 8, verse 8 to 9, and verse um, 12 to 14. Um, 8 to 9 says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his ways. 12 says, What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. And verse 14, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Praise the Lord. So we respond to the Bible, we approach the Bible with humility and respect towards God. Having head knowledge is not enough. And we also respond in faith, appropriating the promises that God has to ourselves. So the last point for today is how we should not treat the Bible. Does anybody have an idea? How should we not treat the Bible? Viola, because you're about to pass it to someone else. <laughs> um. hmm. I, was, I was gonna say, we shouldn't treat it as just uh, a book of fairy tales. Okay. Kupa, do you have anything? Oh, the same thing. Um, we shouldn't treat it as a we shouldn't treat it with disdain I think that's the word or it just uh, just one of those fictional books that we read or comics in that sense yeah. interesting like manga we shouldn't treat it as first and foremost we shouldn't treat it as a buffet um did you all hear me? <laughs> because I was, we shouldn't treat it like as a buffet. Mm -hmm. Pick and choose. You approach the Bible and say, you know what? Today, I'm feeling like some proverbs. I need something that can suit my palate. So, you know, proverbs would do. You know, Psalms would do. You know, I, I don't want revelation. I, I, I can't digest that today. And some days you feel like, ah. I'm feeling like I'm alert today, so let me look at Daniel. Let me look at Revelations. Let me, you know, you, you can't treat the Bible like that. Every single thing in the scripture is for our benefit. It's for, to help us in this journey. Even the songs of Solomon, you know, although some people have used that to toast people in church. This is very interesting. I mean, it has happened to me before. It didn't make sense. But every single thing, you know, and the Bible is for us. The truth of the matter is that if we do not even understand something, we can ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to his words. And he would. He truly would. 
Because if we've already talked that the Bible is inspired and the Bible is authoritative, then we need to approach it with the air that, Lord, I trust your word. I trust what you say in it. Even though some things I may not understand, I trust that everything you're saying is for my good. And once you approach it from that standpoint, things will get clearer. Things would. And you can always ask your teachers. I mean, that's why they're here for you. So the next point is don't treat the Bible as an alternate source material. Um, I touched on this earlier a little bit. Um, it, it becomes a problem whereby um, anytime we want to hear from God, we go and listen to a podcast first. Or we go and listen to, you know, some amazing teacher. It's almost as if we're taking our food from a third source. It becomes a problem. Anytime we want to get to know God or get to know what his word says and we go and just open a podcast rather than opening his word first and foremost. Because that's the, that's the main source. I mean, even all these other authors, where are they drawing their source from? Actually, some of them can be very shady. But the ones that are true believers, where are they drawing their source from? It's from this. And that's why every time... Anytime someone comes here to preach, you'll say, go and check your Bible. Like, go back to your Bible. A lot of people do not want to. I mean, our generation, we're very lazy. I'm sorry to say, but it's a fact. We don't want to read the Bible for ourselves. We want someone else to tell us. And after the person has finished, you'll be like, yes, you know. And you see in situations, in buses, people will now be arguing based on, okay, this is what this person said not this is what the word says it becomes a problem where we prefer getting our message well i say sort of in a diluted form you know when you have you buy you know powdered milk and you know you pour it inside water rather than getting it direct it's a problem and lastly, I want to say is we should not treat it as merely translations. I feel like this is the most controversial um, we have in our, in our world today, um, the KGV elitists or KJV-only people who... Hmm? KJV, King James Version. <laughs> KJV version, you know. It's gotten to a point whereby the lines between God's word and translations have become very blurred. And the debate is, this is my translation. Whatever yours is, that's up to you. And first and foremost, that mindset is, is wrong because we should be thankful to God that we have... We have an English version of a Bible. There are a lot of people in some parts of the world that they don't have that. What they have is a Russian version of the Bible, and they don't speak Russian. You know, the Bible has been translated to more than 3,000, you know, languages, and people are still coming up every single day to do more to help. And it, that shouldn't be our focus. It shouldn't be. 
our focus. It shouldn't be our focus. I mean, um, if we look deeper at what Bible translation is, Bible translation is to reestate the meaning of word in one language with the word from another. And it started a very long time ago. It's not new. I mean, if you look at Second Kings 22, verse 8, well, um, the priest Hilkiah, you can go there, discovered the book of the law of Moses in the temple. Second Kings twenty-two, verse eight. Are we there? And Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, "I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord." And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And if you look at Nehemiah eight from verse eight. Says something. So they read in the book, in the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. Question is, how did he cause them to understand the reading? He was translating into them. I mean, the Jews produce what we call the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament for the Greek-speaking people in Alexandria and in Egypt. And this helped a lot. And we look at people like um, William Tinsdale, who was the first to translate to English, like the original Hebrew and Greek, I mean, the King James Version, he's the one that wrote 80% of it. Even though he died, they, he was burnt at the stake. They called it heresy for what he was doing. He died before he could finish it, but someone else did finish it. You know, and so on, so on, so on, many people like that. So the goal should not be us arguing back and forth. I mean, if I ask everyone here, what's your favorite translation? I'm sure people would. What's your favorite translation, Mena? NKJV. Jiba, what's your favorite translation? What's your favorite translation, Kupa? Yeah. Biola. That's a family. You can have more than one, or just. Oh, there. <laughs> you have three. Yes. Pastor Billy. He has me. In this standard version. Okay. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. Okay. I like amplified. So I've not really explored a lot, but um, I like amplified. Uh, Look, I believe the goal for every translation is to, number one, faithfulness to the wordings of the original language and also readability in everyday English. And 
for a lot of these translations, most of them stick closer to one than the other, or stick in the middle of both of them. You know, and that's what we call, and this is where my, my sound to get very educational, but I'm rounding up. <laughs> um, that's what you call formal translation. Um, and this kind of mimics the form of the original Hebrew and Greek. And they tend to mimic word forms and we like grammatical categories and of the Hebrew and Greek. And even though it might sound or cause some type of awkward English, like some people don't like KJV, and KJV is one of the formal translation because it, it doesn't sound like, like normal contemporary English, but the formal translation doesn't really care about that. All it cares about is trying to make sure that it, it's faithful to the writing of the original language, even though it might sound like some people will say biblish, because things like behold or low are not things that we use today. And Bibles in that category is like KJV, NKJV, um, NASB, and um, ESV, and Lexam English Bible. Then we have things like functional translation, which focuses more on readability. Readability in the sense of trying to make sure that it is translated to impact the modern readers. You know, and they tend to be more freer in the way they interpret so to speak. So um, sometimes they can raise some inspired uh, ambiguities in the original. So for example, if a word has more than one meaning or three meanings, it might tend to just take some out of it. And Bibles like that are NET and New Living Translations and new international reader version. Then we have um, moderate translation, which is a um, blend of the formal and the functional, and that's your new international versions and your new revised standard version. Then we have what we call paraphrases, which just try to bring the text into the world of the readers, so they summarize and they rephrase things. And you have things like the living Bible and the message. I went through all this to help us understand that um, instead of debating which and which, we should try and understand each and every translation and what they represent. And I mean, for me, I have a Bible that has, altogether, it has KJV, Amplified, New American Standard, and New International version and anytime i read it i like to see what each and everyone says for a particular word and this doesn't um, take away the fact that the bible is inspired and the bible is authoritative and this topic or the bible and the believer highlights that we should build our relationship with God's word. And I said earlier that um, you can't separate um, the Bible and Jesus because one relates to the other. Um, the Bible is called the written word of God and Jesus is also called the word of God. So we've learned that the Bible produces faith. We've learned that it is for our spiritual nourishment. We've learned that it helps us to fight against, you know, or battle against the enemy, we've learned that it cleanses. We've learned that it 
it builds us up. We've also learned that we should not treat it like a buffet. It's not Jews. And we should not treat it as an alternate source material. That anytime we want to get something from God or hear from God, we start looking at podcasts first or commentaries. And all these things are really good. But they should not take away the position of the Bible first foremost and we also our approach to the bible our response to the bible is to receive it with humility and i said that um, if we are humble we are very teachable we cannot approach the bible with any air of superiority and i pray the lord will help us any questions questions Nope. Contributions? I have a question. Um, so, in a case where you have someone who is a new Christian, how do you guide the person or what can you advise the person on how to study the Bible? Because it's, um, it's very easy to treat the Bible like a buffet when you don't really have a particular guideline. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. So if you're using daily devotionals, for example, today's devotion is talking, is you're reading in Psalms. The next one you're reading Romans. The next day you're reading. So it's, it's, it's almost like that's a buffet method to an extent. So what would you say is the best way to, or an, a, a diff, an array of ways that you can study the Bible and, and not be in a non-chaotic fashion? non-chaotic fashion. I believe the first and foremost thing is that um, if anyone gives their life to Christ, um, they first have to, um, will I say, come to a Bible-believing church because all these things you have said or you've you said it it will be handled better in a church sit because but what we find in most cases that when you're on the evangelical ground and someone gives their life to christ the next thing the person that led them to christ does is to give them a bible and first and foremost is that when you give them the bible the first thing you need to tell them is that they should you know, start to read or provide some type of foundational school or class. And that's kind of tough, especially when there is no, will I say, a system or a body like this church. So I would say that the first thing the person needs to do is to find a church where they reside. Because it's very harder for you to start to you know, start to teach them, you know, this is, this is, this is, this. Um, you can start to say, okay, read from Genesis, and the person would do not understand what that means then. Like, the communication, will, there will be a communication sort of barrier, you know, and the first thing for them is to, you that you're evangelizing to them, you have a church, right? The first thing to do is to say, oh yeah, come to my church, and let us teach you. 
Because first and foremost, I believe that there shouldn't be a Christian that doesn't have a church they go to. It, it, it makes no sense, so to speak. It makes no sense. So you, for example, if you meet someone on the evangelical ground um, or you're evangelizing to them, the first and foremost thing or course of action, even when you provide a Bible to them, is to say, oh yeah, come to church and let us teach you from there. From there you can go. From there you can ask your questions. Because it would be harder for you to be able to impact them and tell them where to go or where to to read on your own because a believer that gives their life to christ and they are just on your own that that work is not complete if that makes sense i mean it's something we learned in theology school that when you say a soul is finally saved is when they've been brought when they've gone through foundation school gone to all the major principles in the bible that's when you can now say that the soul is saved because they've impacted for you to for them to just say the prayer and give their life and for them to just leave them on their own it makes no sense does that answer your question i mean i think i should add to that what if there's distance i guess Mm -hmm. would be the follow-up right Mm -hmm. that's the logical follow-up because everything you said has to do with when there's physical interaction. So what if, for example, the person is, ab- is in Abuja and you are in Lagos and the person just gave their lives to Christ somewhere and you are their Christian friend and they are asking you for advice mm-hmm. or answer. They, they can't travel down <laughs> to attend church. Um, so before, before I answer, I want to sort of differentiate between there is... There's a place of church, but generally speaking, there is there's direct nourishment, there is supplementary nourishment, right? And there's just fluff. <laughs> so direct nourishment is when you interact with the Word of God on your own, right? Supplementary, supplementary nourishment is your podcast and your messages and all that stuff. They can't replace the Bible. Fluff is anything that has to do with Christian culture. It's fluff. It's, it's like snacks. It's, it's, it might taste good, but it doesn't, like unhealthy snacks. It might taste good, but it doesn't do anything for you past your taste buds. It's actually harming you, and you do not know. In that, if you rely on that, so there are people, for example, that rely on what is right and what is wrong. And there are a lot of YouTube channels that don't teach but to say, oh, this person said the wrong thing, this person said the right thing. If you rely on, o- on all that pseudo-apologetics or you rely on, oh, Christian art, Christian music, Christian lifestyle, it's not the Bible. That's all fluff. It's good in context, but it doesn't make you grow. You just enjoy it. Messages can, but they are very supplementary, the ones you listen to. There's nothing that beats sitting down to read it on your own. So, Practical steps to say to anybody that just gave their lives to Christ. What our teacher said is important. Everybody needs a main home of nourishment. No matter where you are, you have to find a Bible-believing church to go. But if someone is asking you what they can start with, tell them to start with the Gospels. The Gospels are always a very safe starting point for any new believer. Why? The epistles may be too complex. The prophets in the Old Testament, they won't understand. 
But ultimately, the reason why is because the Gospels tell about Jesus. And when you give your life to Christ, the first person you really need to come to know is Jesus. So a new believer start from the Gospels. Specifically, if you want to start from any book, start from Mark. Why? Mark is the shortest of the Gospels. It's the least intimidating of the four of them. It's the easiest to assimilate and digest. So these are practical teachings. Tell the person to start from the Gospels. Recommend the book of Mark. Let the person start reading. Okay. Recording. All right. Can you hear me well now? Yes. Okay. So when do when does devotionals become treated as a buffet? Because um, most times you're always told as a believer, like you know, when you wake up uh, before you like do anything, like find like a devotional or something. Like we have a lot of them, like Open Heavens, for instance, and people are very in tune with it because mm-hmm. you know they just want to study have an interaction, learn something, and go about that day meditating on what they have learned. So when does it become a buffet in that sense or become like supplementary? Well, quite simply, when it's the only thing you're relying on. That's just it. So for example, I treat devotionals as breaking case of emergency, personally. What I mean is, if for example, something gets in the way of my regular pattern or practice in that every day you wake up that's the advantage the advantage is that you can essentially wake up and essentially someone is already giving you something giving you a pointer on what you should read and what you should study and they are great they are great supplements you can still rely on them alone because essentially because the bible is living right you need to approach the bible as jesus himself having something for you on what on a daily basis in that yes you would learn from a devotional there are days when what is said in that devotional hits there are days when it's okay i'm learning something new basically you can you can consistently move through going through devotionals and they are awesome because right now technology has even made it easier in that there are apps that you subscribe to that even without your before you ask them they'll send you a reminder and <laughs> they'll send the scripture to you and that's cool that's good but to say that you are dependent on that alone for your spiritual growth is a problem it's it has always been a supplement that's the truth i'm not going to even say when does it become a supplement it has always been a supplement from the start the idea is that because if christians were more studious of their bibles the need for devotionals came as a result of the fact that it was observed that christians find it difficult to read their bibles that's just the truth so they were written either weekly or bi-weekly or daily so essentially give you something to fall back on but really, if you approach it from the reason it was created, it's literally a breaking case of emergency. For example, you wake up that morning and life is too stressful and you woke up late, 
you couldn't have your bath. So, I mean, you had to have your bath and quickly rush to work. You didn't wake up at the time you usually would wake up to do your study. And okay, so you pick up your devotional or you look at your devotional on your phone and you read it. Maybe to read your Bible later in the day or something. That's all well and good. But to now say that your personal relationship with God or your personal study time has been reduced to just looking at your devotionals every day, you are misusing it, to be very honest. That personal time with the Word of God is very important. You can't, you can't replace it with anything. Even church. That's it. Any other questions? No. Shall we bow our heads? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you all for today. We thank you Lord, for your word. We thank you all for everything we've learned. We thank you, Lord, that even as we continue this journey, you shall continue to open our, the eyes of our understanding towards your word in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that even as we grow, that your word shall be part and parcel of us. Your word shall be part and parcel of our daily lives. That we shall not leave your word. We shall never get over familiar with your word in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. That the hunger for your word shall continue to increase and increase in our lives in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. At the end of the day, may you take all the glory, may you take all the honor, may you take all the adoration. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.